Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme on the first day of October, John Paul is taking your calls uh, today, 1850-333-103. He's on his own, so have patience with him, please, if you're not getting through quickly enough. You can text or WhatsApp, though, to 0862-103-103. And I can already see calls and texts and comments coming in through our various social media platforms as well on the Leaving Cert. And little did I think on the first day of October 2020 that we would once again be talking about the Leaving Cert class of 2020. Frantic efforts, according to all of the newspapers, are now underway to try to open up as many as a thousand more college places. This is as the government battles to calm the latest storm to hit the Leaving Cert calculated grades process. The Education Minister, she's pictured on the front page of most papers today, uh, even though I think she'll wake the this morning and say I don't really want to be on the front page of all of the papers today Norma Foley is now at the centre of a new controversy this is you probably are well aware of this it emerged yesterday two computer coding errors left about 6,500 Leaving Cert students with at least one lower grade than they should have received. Minister Foley learnt of the error on Wednesday of last week, but she failed to reveal it until a week later. It took her a full week before she issued a statement. Now, the reason for it, she said, she wanted to find out as much detail as possible before making the announcement. And some people would say that was indeed the right and the correct thing to do, rather than saying, we've discovered a bit of a glitch. I'll get back to you when I know more. It's estimated that up to a 1,000 students, possibly more, Nobody knows for sure the exact number that lost out on their preferred college choice as a result of these errors. Further checks are now underway to see if any more errors are to be uncovered. The Higher Education Minister, that of course is Simon Harris, who's really having a bad time, isn't he as well? He went from health into higher education and it's like he's gone from the frying pan into the fryer. Anyway, Simon Harris yesterday said any resources required to provide additional college places will be forthcoming. But a lot of people are speculating the cost of funding just 1,000 more places uh, would run to €10 million euro, and we don't even know if it's only going to be 1,000 places. It could be more. Now some reaction from different groupings. The Irish Second Level Students Union said it has particular concerns about the financial situation students may potentially face and say that those, say for example, who've already paid deposits or paid an instalment for their accommodation, uh, they would no longer uh, 
they won't need it, you know, if their college places, for example, closer to home, should they be reimbursed? Teachers Union of Ireland say that when viewed against alternatives, the value of the traditional independent Leaving Cert and the public trust it enjoys should now be apparent to all. And the ASDI uh, President Anne Pickett out this morning saying teachers were assured that calculated grade process was robust and that it was fair for students and they now were shocked and uh, disappointed. And there's lots and lots of different case studies in the paper of different students talking about how they missed out on a place and they might have missed out by only a very small amount of uh, points, maybe by 10, 15. So if they get upgraded even in one subject, that may give them an additional 20 points, which meant they could might have been able to have got their higher offer. And actually there's the twins. You may have seen these on the news yesterday. I think they were on Liveline yesterday as well. They're twins from uh, Dublin. Lovely, lovely young boys, Aaron and uh, Connor, these straight A students who just worked so hard, I would say, throughout their entire time in school. They're just those kind of kids that put their head down and work and they had an end goal and the end goal was that both of them wanted to go to Trinity to study medicine. They got grades from their teachers who said, they should get 625 points. They were straight A students in their junior certs. They each got 10 straight A's in their junior cert a couple of years ago. So the algorithms that were going to be used to do the calculated grades was based on that junior cert result as well. Anyway, when they got to open up their leaving cert results, Connor was awarded the 625 uh, points by his school. He also got it in the calculated grades, which meant he could go on to Trinity. But it was the other brother, Aaron, who was marked down. I think he was marked down to uh, 601, 601 uh, points. So I'd say he's going to be waiting to see is he going to be upgraded. But it meant that one of the twins went on to study medicine and the other and the other didn't. I mean, to me, that one case alone, alarm bells should have rang because on paper they were absolutely identical. So how, when all of their information was inputted into the computer, did the computer say yes to one twin and no to the other twin? I mean, certainly I would have been thinking alarm bells should have been ringing there. Okay, some of your thoughts coming in. Donal on Twitter at C103 Cork. Why did we not get an Irish company to do the algorithms? We have so many companies here in Ireland that do coding, etc. Why was a Canadian company used? And Norma Foley was quizzed about the who was the company responsible and then she went on to talk about this Canadian company that I had certainly never heard of before. I'm assuming that they had to put it out to tender and is it the cheapest tender wins? I'm unsure how the tendering process worked but it would be a tendering process but but you're right and I think a lot of people will question why couldn't that have been done by an Irish company? Karen to C103 Facebook Messenger says will the company in Canada now pay Ireland as the country will need to be refunded if college places are going to be made available they're going to cost the country thousands. I did hear Norma Foley say that there will have to be some kind of compensation from the company because the company themselves are putting their hands up and saying we got it wrong. 
we made a mistake. Amanda in Carrigaline said we knew the situation was imperfect but then for our sons and daughters to wait, to wait three weeks for the results remember there was a delay on the results as well and now we're being told 10% of the grades are wrong the uh, the impact is just so unfair. Liz in Mallow says the stress in our household yesterday evening we have accommodation paid for our son has started to settle into his course and now this my son is happy now and he's actually secretly hoping that the results don't change as then it becomes the what if and I think and I've heard that Liz actually from others as well people saying that you know they've started a course and even and it wasn't their first choice it might have been their second third fourth I even heard of one student saying it was their sixth choice they didn't get their top five but they'd already said they've moved into accommodation they've started the course and even if it comes back that they're due another course they're going to stick with what they have for the moment not all students will do that but some will uh, Neve says they've, astro- they've destroyed destroyed the lives of so many with this error. People are not sure what they are going to do. Students can't take a gap year. Why? Because they can't travel anywhere. Uh, they, they're stuck here at home so they want to go and they want to uh, study. And Michael uh, to WhatsApp, Patricia, after such a shambles with the students leaving cert results, Norma Foley should do the honourable thing and resign according to Michael, immediately, if not sooner. How can she survive? The whole shambles was brought on by Deputy Thomas Byrne when he was education spokesperson in the Supply and Confidence Arrangement. How, can phone, how many phone calls has Norma Foley and her department got since this news broke yesterday? Minister Norma Foley said the exact number of students who will receive higher grades won't be available until the recheck process is complete, but it's likely to be in the region of 6,500 students. Patricia, you might remember it was Minister Norma Foley who delayed the Leaving Cert results by three weeks and that was to ensure that the predictive grade system was accurate, was reliable and was fair to all the students. That's a quote from Minister Foley at the time. It is now estimated that 7,200 students are to be upgraded. This will have consequences for the CAO system and the points waiting for courses. This is nightmare stuff for students. It just beggars belief. Furthermore, had the results been been out on time, the students wouldn't have lost out on their places in the United Kingdom universities. Minister Foley knew a full week ago and informed the Taoiseach, who never informed Leo Varadkar or Eamon Ryan until this week. Where lies her respect for these joint leaders? For how long would this government, which Michael feels is stumbling from one disaster to another, for how long will they be able to uh, carry on? And he goes to far. He goes so far as to say he feels that the Minister for Education should step down. Some of your texts coming in. Morning, Patricia. All base a great one. Let's be hoping that the government pay do pay the increases to those living on social welfare, including the old age pensioners. This was the issue that we spoke about yesterday. We are now twelve days away. From from Budget 2021 and it was speculated in some of the newspapers yesterday that there isn't going to be at the five euro, the one for everybody in the audience that normally gets announced on Budget Day for old age pensions and other people on uh, social welfare. So that's what this texter is picking up. Um, I hope that they do get an increase. Everyone in social welfare gets the five euro. It's so easy to judge this, this texter without standing in their shoes. You also mentioned no tax increase. Do they all read from the same paper, I wonder? What about property tax increase? What about ta- carbon tax uh, increase? Well, I think when they're saying no tax increase, it's it's for workers. It's 
your personal tax that we're talking about but you're right taxes will go up in other ways Sarful says this is texter to see our Ireland being turned into a little Britain with similar idiots at the okay uh, surely it's time to address the ocean between rich and poor uh, we are we we are turning it out to be not a very compassionate nation and we certainly are. There seems to be a bigger divide between the rich and poor and I do think that was highlighted as well with COVID-19 when they were looking, when lockdown happened and so many people lost their job and then the first opportunity for revenue to come out and talk about the tax take. People, higher earners didn't lose their jobs as disproportionately as people on lower incomes. They were the first ones to lose their jobs. So yeah, there is certainly a divide between rich and poor. And here's an interesting one from Jane. Says, Patricia, just wondering, can you solve this issue for me, please? Before COVID, I used to play my guitar, sing a few songs for the locals in my local pub. I'd do it about one night a week. Now that the wet pubs have reopened again, the locals are asking me, would you bring along your guitar, Jane, and sing a few songs uh, for us again? But I don't know if this is actually allowed now or not. Now, I don't use any microphone. I don't use any speaker, so I'm not singing very loud. It's just, you know, a nice little sing song that everybody can listen to. Maybe people might join in as well. I would appreciate if you could find out for me what is the rule now regarding this. I know that just before the wet pubs opened, the Minister for Arts, uh, who was responsible for the arts and culture, uh, Catherine Martin, she came out and said that wet pubs would be allowed to host live music when they opened and she was actually encouraging people to get back out she said she, I, and I quote in an interview she said I want our musicians to play and to sing again and to be able to earn a living now I don't know if Jane is earning a living or she's just going along uh, entertaining locals in her pub she says there was nothing to stop live performances is in, in pubs uh, once it's done safely so what I'm suggesting that you would do Jane is is talk to the owner of the bar where you normally bring your guitar and sing a few songs because I think it's going to be an individual choice. I know that all of the publicans are not allowed to have very loud music. I know, for example, when the television is on, they can't have the television up very loud. And the theory behind that is that they don't want people shouting at each other because if you're across the table shouting at somebody, that's when there's a chance if you had COVID-19 and didn't realise that you had COVID-19, there is the chance that droplets as you're speaking and when you shout more droplets uh, come out and it's the same I think if you're singing loudly as well. So I have heard of music going on quietly like that, little sessions going on but there's going to be strict guidelines, strict rules and re- regulations so what I suggest you do is ask him, ask the publican where you normally do, where you normally bring your guitar and play for the locals and I'm sure you will be allowed to do it but check in first. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 Teachers and principals were left shocked and disappointed by the news that two errors had been found in the Leaving Cert calculated grades process. Teachers took part in the calculated grades process in good faith and were reassured it would be robust and fair. Our career guidance expert, Roisin Keller, uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Roisin. Patricia. Um, firstly, what was your initial reaction to what happened when you heard the news yesterday? Well, I think just exactly as you have said, shocked and disappointed because one would expect to have complete confidence in the Department of Education and the Minister did assure uh, the students and the parents and everybody that that's why it was so long in processing the, the grades because they were taking such care 
And it's unbelievable that this has happened. And I also find it very strange, Patricia, that it has taken so long uh, for them to come out and to say uh, why the error occurred. Now, I'm not even referring to the fact <clears throat> that apparently the minister knew about this information last week. But, like, since the results were issued, surely they must have... Because, of course, the students, there was quite a reaction that they were concerned about the changes. It wasn't as if they didn't know. And yet, did it take them that long to put in some other organisation or whoever it was to do a recheck? And what one would have thought that they would have done that recheck initially themselves to check, double check and treble check everything. Yeah, because there certainly was some very glaring uh obvious mistakes. I mean the the two young lads who were on the news last night, the two boys from Dublin, they, they were straight age junior search students, twin boys, yes. sat there leaving search expected to get identical results because they've gone through their whole school uh, career getting identical results and they got identical results from their teachers yes. and then one gets downgraded and the other doesn't. Yes. It made no sense. Yes. So that should have set off alarm bells for persons in the Department of Education, I expect it did. But, um, you know, I'm just, I'm very, I'm very shocked and disappointed and extremely concerned for the students and their parents because there are many issues involved here in this situation. But the fact, well, I'm glad, of course, at least it won't say anything positive, that at least it has been brought to attention now. Yes, that is a positive. Okay, let's... It hasn't gone on for longer. But I am still very disappointed that... It happened in the first place, of course, but that there has been a gap up to now. I mean, after all, today, on the 1st of October, the CAO were about to issue their third round offers. And seemingly they are going ahead with that. They are, but it was to issue this morning at 10am. Yeah. Reschedule that now to be issued at 5 this evening. What's that telling us? Do you, do you know why they've they've delayed? No. no. Okay. Okay. But let's I, I let's talk. The CAO and all they had on it. Anyone can go in and check on the CAO website, and they simply said change to schedule, five p.m. Okay, let's talk to students directly then and uh, to their parents. Um, firstly, Roshi, no student will receive a reduced grade, and it's important to get that message out. That's very important, and it's also very important to say that financially they will lose out on their SUSE grant if they're on a course this year and then they find that they should have been offered another programme. So that would be repeating first year. Under normal circumstances, unfortunately, they would lose the SUSE grant for that one year. And also, there would be a fee implication that people would have to pay the fees for that year. That will not apply this year for the students. And of course, it is the students that should have got the other course that they should have got in the first place, we'll say, when they, uh, uh, when, when they were offered on the 11th of September. So it has to be that they had already said on their CAO form that they wanted a particular course and they didn't get it, and now we find that perhaps they should have got it. They won't be penalised financially. But there is a financial implication and there will be for for some families. I was um, speaking with a parent yesterday evening whose daughter wanted to do, uh, I don't know what the course was, but she wanted to do it here in Cork. She didn't get it, uh, missed out by only about 10 points. It was a very small uh, amount. She instead then has accepted a place in Galway. Now, Galway comes with a huge financial implication for that family. And just to clarify that, that's what I mean by that they wouldn't lose out by the fees 
But of course, that's not to take into account what you've just said, Patricia. There is an enormous situation with regard to accommodations that the students, just as you have said, who have made arrangements to uh, get into accommodation, college accommodation or private accommodation in these various colleges and will now find maybe that wasn't necessary. Mm. Or on the other hand, they may find that they will get a course in a location different to where they're at the moment. So all of that is causing a huge upheaval and cost and worry to the students and to the parents. And good luck trying to find accommodation at this late stage. Well, that's another issue as well. Are the courses going to be totally online? And we know from many of the programmes with the practicals and the healthcare areas, that's not possible. They have to have the laboratories. And so how are they going to manage? And, you know, this, this, is, this is a very big issue. And this is something that I raised, I'm sure, with yourself earlier in the year. And also the whole issue of the connectivity with the persons that will be and the colleges that are providing the online uh, service, if you like, to the students who are getting their third level education by that manner. Yeah, Liz and Mallow contacted us. She said the stress in our household yesterday evening was off the Richter scale. Accommodation has been paid for. Our son is actually settling into his course yes. and she said he appears very happy. He's now hoping that his result doesn't change because then she said he's going to have the whole thing of what if. Uh, so if, if they, for students that have accepted a course and then if they find out that a higher up one that they've been offered, if they're happy with their course, then stick with it. They will stick with it. Creates an unease, of course, with regard to it. And also, the big situation is it's distracting them from their studies. Mm. It, it's upsetting them. The students that, and there are, I have had contact with some students who were and are going to sit that leaving search again starting on the 16th of November because they said they hadn't got higher grades. Now, they're upset as well. They're, they just don't know. They're, they're distracted from their studies because there's this unease about will they be among the students who will get a higher grade? And the other thing is, how long will they have to wait for this information? And by the way, for people who are were talking about sitting the leaving search, you can apply up to tomorrow, isn't it? Is the right. close, is the, is they the, is to, close they after that? the application by tomorrow. But with regard to the students and this situation now that has occurred, they are awaiting because that information then, as the Minister has said, they have to reprocess the whole situation. That would be my understanding of it. And that, of course, will take time. So they've got to get all that information. Then that information has to be sent to the CAO. And then it will be the CAO reading the students' applications that they made earlier in the year, what the consequences of that would be, then back to the colleges and to see, well, where are these places? These students are some students entitled to some courses. Where are they going to fit in? What are they going to do? Yeah, a listener says, could you ask Roisin, does she think that will many third level colleges be able to facilitate the students? I don't know. No. I simply don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, you can hear sometimes on the media, if they're online, does that matter? But every course isn't offered online. And again, it could depend on the facilities that they may have set up in the colleges for the online facility. So in one sense not trying to be too critical of them. But they did, the, the colleges did know that there was possibly this situation would occur with regard to the online situation. So one would have thought that they would have been a little bit more prepared perhaps for that. Okay. And, um, and that they could be able to give more information to the students. Because certainly some of the students that have contacted me 
they're terribly upset. I mean, they're upset about whether the courses would be offered online or not. I mean, I had a student last Sunday evening, last Sunday night, 11 o'clock. And the course starting the next morning at 9 o'clock. I mean, talk about being down to the line and not sure about what you want to do. Now, that was the college's responsibility to reassure that student. It wasn't for me at 11 o'clock on a Sunday night, surely, to be sending an email to some young person, which I did do, because I felt so upset and yeah. distressed. OK, OK. And it's still, it's still the great unknown for many. Listen, uh, Roisin, thank you for that. And just let people know the helpline. There is a helpline uh, operating. Okay. The Department of Education. I've run it this morning. Yeah. It's very busy. OK. So they have also uh, a website provided and they have assured people they will get back to them. But it certainly is a very busy line. Okay. And I was held on quite a while this morning when I checked that line. Okay, it's oh one double eight nine two one nine nine. Roisin, as always, a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thank and uh, thanks uh, for Thank joining you. us. And I hope everything will work out well for the students and the parents. Well, and to get help from the guidance counsellors and avail of the help signs that are there. Well said. Thank you for that. That's uh, Roisin Kelleher, our career guidance expert. I want to say on this uh, topic because Sinn Féin spokesperson on education Donica O'Leary has said that solutions need to be found for the Leaving Cert students who have been affected by the errors in the calculated grade system and uh, Donica joins me. Good morning to you Donica. Good morning. Uh, question that I started when I asked Roisin were you shocked when you heard about this yesterday? Absolutely. Like look I mean the entire year that Leaving Cert students have had to endure has been you know extremely stressful huge look I mean it's never easy to do the Leaving Cert any year but this year has been extraordinary between uncertainty postponement cancellation uh, and then the controversy around school profiling and now just as we think we're through it this arises and these are very significant errors and it raises huge huge questions but most of all it is really shocking for those students who are affected by it um, and I, like I mean the Minister has apologised that she's right to have done so because this has huge implications for people's lives uh, people would have made decisions on courses people would have potentially moved city uh, to take up courses on the back of uh, mistakes that the department made uh, and now the department needs to find a way to fix that um, as far as I'm concerned the students who were denied these places because the department's errors need to be given those places. They are entitled to those places. The department needs to provide them. But but do you think that the colleges will be able to step up to the mark and be able to provide the places for this year? Well, I think that that is what needs to happen, but obviously they need to be supported in doing so by the department. That will require extra funding. There's no doubt about that because it will require uh, additional personnel. But there's no doubt in my mind that we cannot ask students to to simply wait in purgatory for a year to do a year of a course that they might uh, not end up finishing and that they know they won't end up finishing because they're taking on a different course next year or to go out looking for work when there's very little work to mm-hmm. be found for people who are coming straight out of school at the minute, very little work generally to be found. Um, so, like, I mean, I don't think it's a reasonable expectation. These students need these places. Uh, they're entitled to them. And to be honest, I think if it ended up in court, I don't think the Department of Education would be on very strong ground. Yeah, and as somebody pointed out, these young people can't even take a gap year and go travelling because they, they can't go travelling uh, anywhere. And Roisin, our career guidance expert who I had on a couple of minutes ago, you know, she's sort of making the issue, when are these students going? Have we any indication as when, of when they're going to find out what's happening? No, we don't. Um, the 
you know, I understand that some would have received text messages and things like that, but we don't know the full extent of uh, we don't know the full extent of the problem as yet, which is very, very worrying. We don't know how many, we know about 10% were affected directly, but we don't know precisely how many would have lost out on courses. Uh, about 10% of grades were affected, perhaps more than that in terms of marks that wouldn't have changed the grades. So, you know, we need to find out, is there any, like, I mean, are the department being fully frank of the extent of this problem? Um, what needs to happen now, as well as those third level places, as well as solutions and fixing this for the students who are affected. We do need accountability here too. There are serious questions that need to be answered by the department about, you know, how this company came on to take this work, were they fit to take on this work? If they was it provided by tender? If it was not provided by tender, uh, then uh, was it on the basis of work that was done by for the department previously? And if so. Is it in any way comparable? Um, like, I mean, is this somebody, is this a company with the expertise to undertake this? Because it seems as if they made really fundamental errors, uh, really basic errors. We were also given assurances in the past by the Minister for Education that um, that every line of code was checked. It now appears as only parts of the code have been checked uh, and I suppose there were changes made during the course of it as well, like that, you know, the school profiling stuff was changed. Was it checked again after that? So a lot of serious flaws in how this was handled that, that we need answers for. But the most important element of it is, for me, is the solutions. Mm. Uh, we, these students have been denied third-level places that they were entitled to, that they got the points for, uh, and that is... Um, I think that that is wrong. And it underlines, like, for us, calculated grades was never... The, the right solution to... You, Sinn Féin were against it from day one, weren't they, weren't they as a party? Yes, for a number of reasons. First of all, because we were concerned that there was inherent biases in it, uh, not all of which would have been resolved by removing the school profiling. But, you know, like, I mean, you know, we all know students, so we can all think of people in our own lives that are late starters, like the calculated grades wouldn't have given them much opportunity to, to show what they were able to do in an exam type situation or an assessment type situation um, and there's also like look we're dealing with the reality of it here an algorithm a mathematical formula you know you have in any equation like this with so many factors you have you know statistically errors that mightn't seem that significant but any error uh, is a family is a student is a course that they have been dreaming about and working for for two years or maybe more than that, maybe for many, many years that they've been working towards. So any error has real-life implications. And I think we need to think about that the next time we see in any area of public policy talk of an algorithm or a formula or some kind of mathematics being used to to decide things that there are lots of factors in and that in many instances might be better decided by uh, a qualified uh, individual with all the evidence in front of them. Yeah. Yeah, computers make mistakes um, uh, as well. Um, okay, so um, thank you for that, uh, Donica, and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. That is the Sinn Féin spokesperson on education, Donica O'Leary. Tim says, stop everything. As soon as the correct grades are filed and the places offered, then start again. Two or three weeks ago, the CAO could not ring fence last year's places for this year. Can anyone be confident in an offer for next year? Start the academic year all over again? 
suggests Tim. There are people in third level who don't deserve their course. We have to let them go ahead. But the people with more than the minimum mark who mistakenly were downgrading must also be given fair play. That's Tim's suggestion. Stop it all and start the academic year again. 1850-333-103. The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork. So if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting, send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email info at c103.ie The Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie C103. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. A mother of four from McCroom who runs a florist shop is speaking out about her experience of living with COVID-19 and she says six months after contracting it, she's still feeling some of the effects. Katrina Healy O'Brien from McCroom uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Katrina. Morning. Uh, you're, How are you? you? I'm very well and, and, and thank you for joining us and sharing your story this morning. Now, you would have been almost one of the first to test positive back in uh, March. Can you take me back and uh, talk to me about what your early symptoms were and did you work out where you would have contracted coronavirus? Um, still have no idea, to be honest with you now where I got it from because they closed the schools on the 12th of March um, which was a Thursday. I had a wedding on the Friday and Saturday, got them out and on the Saturday I said to my staff, look lads, we're closing, this is too dangerous, we don't know what's going on. Um, at the time they didn't know exactly how it was being transmitted because um, it was the very start and Mother's Day would have been the following week. We'd be delivering to a lot of older people for Mother's Day. So I said, lads, we're not taking the chance. Mother's Day would have been my busiest financial week of the year. And I just said, no, it's too much of a health risk. We're not doing it. So shut the shop, got the girls all sorted with their COVID payments, talked to the landlord. We got all that done. Got the kids all sorted, shut the shop and stayed at home, basically. Literally did food shopping. And that was on the 14th. And on the 27th of, 26th of March, I started feeling unwell and I thought it was pure exhaustion from trying to get the shop uh, shut down. On the 27th, the cough cough started and I rang the doctor and said, right, you go for a test um, because my husband is high risk. He's um, psoriatic arthritis. So got the test done. It took me an hour and a quarter to drive 20 minutes, what would normally take 20 minutes down to Dunmanway from McCroom on my own because I isolated and I said, look, I'm not, I'm going on my own. I can do this. And I said, look, I'll take my time. I'll be early. And I just got there on time. Now, they were great below in Dunmanway in this centre. Um, I had everything written on a piece of paper because I couldn't talk between my throat being sore and, you know, the cough. And I just didn't want to talk to anyone. I just wanted to get it done get home and curl up in a ball because it was a flu they were telling me but this is more than a flu it's it's frightening so you got the test on the 27th or the 28th was it i got the test done on at two o'clock on the 27th of march okay so then you made your you you went but you knew in your heart and soul without anybody telling you because you were feeling so unwell you knew you had it i knew i had yeah um because i like they asked your date of birth 
and your reference number because you get it in text and I had written it out on a piece of paper to put up against the window of the car because I didn't want to open the window of the car to the people in the test centre because I knew I had it and I didn't want to infect anyone. And wow, wow. Like I, I was going in and out and a separate door in the house that I was able to get in and out so I didn't pass my kids. The hardest part, you know, my kids are big huggers. Thanks for dinner, mom, and you get a hug. Thanks for taking me to the shop, mom, you get a hug. I didn't hug my kids for three and a half weeks. It's very, very hard, isn't it? Very hard. And they were getting upset because they couldn't hug me. They weren't even allowed into the room where I was. They were kept at the other end of the house. I stayed upstairs. Um, Like, I had to have... I, I could barely walk from the toilet to the bed and back again and I was wiped out and anyone that knows me and some of the moms now will be listening I'm a cold creature and I'm always wrapped up <laughs> in the middle of the summer but I was inside in the room with the windows open and the duvet was being thrown off and there was a second bed a blanket on the bed being thrown off and I was lying there trying to get the heat out of me and then 10 minutes later I was inside in the bed shivering the on me, and then another blanket on top of me and Greg was great. He was bringing me up cups of tea every half an hour to try and help with the throat. But I was sitting in the bed with the thermometer and my temperature never went up over 38 degrees, which is the funny thing. But it it kept going from, we'll say, 35.5 up to 37.5 and back down in the length of the five minutes I was talking to the doctor because they used to ring to check on me. How long did those severe symptoms last? About um, they started, we'll say, on the 27th of March and they stayed going for three weeks. Um, on the 4th of April, I came out in a rash from head to toe. I was unrecognisable to anyone that I've shown a picture of myself to because I just completely, I just came out in a rash to the point that my whole skin was red and blotchy. Rang the doctor and they were like, no, they're not part of the symptoms, Katrina, but look, we'll get you a steroid anyway. So they put me on steroids for a couple of days. Then I rang back the doctor on the Monday. That was the Friday. I rang the doctor on the Monday. And she said, sweet Jesus, Katrina, they think the, the rash is part of the symptoms now as well. We need to get you sorted. I was like, okay, look, grand. So another week of steroids. And I started to feel better. But I mean, even to walk down the stairs, to go out and sit in the sun outside... Four weeks later, I was exhausted. My God, everyone talks about the exa- that, that extreme uh, tiredness. Uh, by the yeah. way, the fact you got tested back in March, how long did you wait for your results? There was, there was a del- I got my, I, on the 27th of March, I was tested. And on, on Tuesday, after the bank holiday, April bank holiday, the 12th of April, I got my results. Yeah, there was a, there was at, a long delay in, in, uh, at that stage. So, okay. Was, at so that point, took- I thought they had lost. <laughs> and at that stage you were gone past the 14 days for isolating anyway weren't you I was yeah and we ha- no we had stayed home I was nearly into week four at that stage um, and then the con- they rang and said oh you're positive How- who have you been in contact with the last couple of days and I had I had I had kept a diary because I knew this was going to happen and I said look my husband my kids um, so they rang Greg who was next to me at the time and said, look, you've been in contact with somebody. Um, but they only went back two days before the day I was tested. 
They didn't want contact trace. Not, not like they're doing now. 14 they're days. Going, they're 14 going back days. To the, so, the, so you, Greg, your husband and the children all got tested? No, they never got tested because they didn't have symptoms. No. At the moment, I'm actually kind of disappointed they didn't get tested because I don't know were they asymptomatic yeah. in the house as well. But again, because of that, we said, look, we had Greg's mum was dropping off stuff to us. She was leaving at the end of the driveway. She wouldn't even come up the driveway um, for safety's sake. And we were we were surviving at home. We didn't need to leave the house. I was talking to the brides and rearranging their weddings for them. Um, I, we were doing everything we needed to, so we just stayed at home. We didn't actually leave the house until the middle of May. And Katrina, your story is interesting in that you then developed a, a cough in mid-July and you had to get in, tested again. In mid-July, I got, I, I felt tired um, and I got a cough one morning and I said, oh, look, just be sure I'll ring doctor, the doctor and I said, and they said, oh, Katrina, look, we'll test you again. I said, Grant, within two hours I had a test, so off back down to Dunmanway again. And when I got to Dunmanway, they said to me, why are you back? And I was like, because I've got a cough. Um, I was positive last and they said this is probably going to come back positive because they've noticed it happening I was like alright okay go through the motions so got a call that evening from somebody in St. Finbar saying that yes my test has come back negative they want to check into it and they were contacting my doctor and I was to go straight to CUH so, sorry your test yeah. came back negative no it came back positive came back positive okay yeah so, so they, the- were, they were worried then so they sent a letter to my doctor. My doctor then rang and said, right, Katrina, you're to go straight to CUH and tell them at the gate of CUH that you're here because of this. So I said, right. Got into the car, drove to CUH, went to the gate, said, look, I'm after testing positive. I need to go into the COVID unit. So in fairness, they masked me up, did all they had to do to keep everybody else safe, put me into what I could only say is a phone box. It's like a little room and said, wait there a couple of minutes. Literally, I was there a couple of minutes and they were checking on me. No, I felt fine. I was reading a book. Yeah. Um, nothing like, nothing like March. Nothing, oh, no, nothing like the first time. So I went in anyway. I had blood tests. I had x-rays. I had all kinds of things. This was now 10 o'clock at night. They did a third COVID test. And for anyone that's had the COVID test, it's hard. It's not nice, yeah. It's, it's not, not nice. nice. No. So no. I had a third COVID test and waited for the results of that and they came back positive again. So they were like, oh, Jesus. And so we were all there kind of going, right. So then I spoke to Dr. Carroll. She would be the head of infectious diseases, I believe, in CUH. And she explained that what it actually was, was that the dead antibodies of the COVID were in my lungs and the cough had brought them up but that I wasn't actually contagious, that the virus was dead. In so so you, it wasn't that you had been reinfected by coming in contact with somebody who had no, had... No, okay. No, it, it, that, well, that's where the, the problem is. Like, I wasn't reinfected um, as such. Um, it was how the, the virus was still inside of me and it was coming back out of me. Okay. Because the COVID test is only finding a trace of the COVID. Yeah. But it's... If it's if it's even dead or alive, they're finding the trace of the COVID. In so, the so that was July. We're up to the first yeah. of October, Katrina. How are you today? I'm literally 
10 minutes out at the doctor because I'm suffering from tinnitus, which I never had before, ear infections, um, chest tightening, like your bra is too tight around your chest, there, yeah. that kind of feeling. And I'm in bed most evenings for 8 o'clock at the latest, which is not like me because I used to work 14, 16 hour days. Now I'm doing well if I manage to get 10. So to people who say, Ashley, don't be worried about that COVID-19, it's only a bad flu. What do no, you say to them? No, it's not. It, this is frightening. Like, I, at one point, at one point in the middle of it all, I said to my husband, I said, if you have to call the doctor or to call the ambulance to me at some point over the next couple of days, you take the kids and you leave the house and you put a note on the door for the ambulance crew. I don't want them seeing me leaving the house. God help you. God because help you. Listen, I'm, I like I'm, I've, I have to, I'm up against it on time, but I'm wondering, could, 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 can I come back to you after news? I need to take a break for to go yeah, to the newsroom. Can we come back and pick up on this? Because I, I want to talk yeah. a little bit more with you because I do think you have a powerful story to tell. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to you after news, Katrina. Thank yeah. you for that. That's uh, Katrina Healy O'Brien. She runs a flower shop in McCroom, just sharing her, I think it's a powerful story she's sharing of living with uh, COVID-19. We'll take a break, take news, and we'll go back to Katrina after news. Join Martina O'Donoghue weekdays from four on C103. The best in music, the up-to-date traffic and all the latest entertainment news. Drive time on C103 with Mallow Credit Union. Serving North Cork and West Limerick with loans of up to €100,000. Do more. See mallowcu.ie. Hi, Simon here. As you know, Cork has a host of local and world-class brands and it's a super city for shopping. Right now, we are asking you once again to make every effort to shop locally. We'd be delighted if you could do your shopping right here in Cork. Because a thriving local economy is good for everyone. You can make it Shop locally and you'll save time, you'll save money and you'll help to save local jobs. Supported by McCarthy Insurance Group, where you can shop local for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Support your own right now. And thank you from all of us at C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I've been chatting with Katrina Healy O'Brien who runs a florist shop in McCroom and Katrina has been sharing her experience of living with COVID-19. She was diagnosed at the end of uh, March. Um, Thanks uh, for rejoining us again, Katrina, because I do think it's a powerful story that you have to tell. But I also want to talk to you, Katrina, about your your business and how you're... So you you took the decision, you jumped early in closing uh, the shop. So your shop would have remained closed. I take it up until June, was it you reopened? Um, I went back myself um, on my own in in May, the 18th of May when the first round was open because I was able to do online and um, contactless delivery. Okay. Um, so I went back, mainly I went back doing funeral flowers for somebody. Somebody rang going, look, she really wants some flowers because we can't go to the funeral. We can't have family there. We want something. So I went back and I did that and then I turned back on my website and mentioned that um, mentioned that I was coming back only doing so I was going back in the morning at like eight o'clock and I was home again by eleven with the one or two three deliveries I was getting done and then I brought the girls back um, on the next phase which was the sixth of June um, so the girls came back doing reduced hours two of them 
and then slowly but surely things started getting a little bit busier and a little bit busier and I brought back the other two girls. Um, so the four of them are now back at work, thank God, and they've taken up my slack because I'm... And how is the, bus- how is the business going? Good. Um, the general walk-ins and day-to-day stuff is still working away. Weddings, um, I thought would be completely gone, but there are people still going ahead with are the reduced numbers. There is? Yeah. With the reduced numbers, they're going ahead. Now, they're cutting back on everything. You know, they're not having as many bridesmaids and they're not having the big church wedding. They're having smaller ones, so they don't need all the, the bits that the they trimmings. would have been having before. Yeah. Yeah. But they're still going ahead because they want to get it done or... They want to get it done for personal reasons or they want to get it done for family reasons, but they're getting it done. But as you say, you would have missed out on Mother's Day. You would have just got in with, with Valentine's Day, but you would have missed out on Mother's Day. And yeah. then obviously birthdays throughout the summer, all the usual things that you'd be doing flowers yeah. for. Mo- Mo- Mother's Day would have been the financial week of the year that would have set us up for, we'll say, buying the Christmas stock, which I would have gone to the trade show in February to, to look at. I would have been getting but the money I'd make for Mother's Day but I didn't get Mother's Day so that's finance it's still and it's still ongoing now I'm kind of going okay I need will I buy Christmas stock will I buy Halloween stock will we be open won't we be open you know we don't know Um, like every day there's the worry that somebody or one of the girls might get sick or you know so it's a very uncertain time with the shop even and there is that fear. Every single business has that fear that if we move to level three, if we move to level four, or God yeah. forbid, if we go back into level five, we're back almost into a full lockdown, which nobody wants. But by God, no. with the way the figures are going, if we don't yeah. all cop on, that's exactly where, where, where we are headed. And Katrina, July should have been a very special month. Well, it probably was a very special month for you, but it, tell me why, why, why July was so special this year. The shop would have been 10 years old in July um, and I actually ended up spending the day, the day the shop would have been 10 years old, I ended up at home inside in bed recuperating um, because, and it was only when one of the girls rang me and said, Trina, congratulations, happy birthday. I was like, what are you on about? <laughs> um, she said, the shop is 10 today and I went, is it? I hadn't, it had come and gone because I had such a fright over the weekend with the second test being positive and worried about the girls in the shop, worried about the kids, worried about everyone that I had, well, I hadn't met a load of people, but, you know, worried about the shop and everything. It had gone past me. And then my son would have been turning 14 as well around the same weekend or the same week. And I didn't want to hug him, but I wanted to hug him. You forget what I mean? I, no. I, I was That was playing, because I was more worried about my son and his birthday and, wanting to hug him and not hug him for his birthday than I was about the shop. But at the same time, I was worried. The girls were, in fairness, the girls took over the shop and they said, look, you sort yourself out. We'll manage that. And they stood up for me. So. You have a great staff. You have a great yeah. staff. And congratulations on the 10th. That's, that, is, that, that is a milestone in, yeah. in business. And you'll get to celebrate many more of those, oh, those yeah. big I'm numbers. A, I'm a determined woman. I won't let too much knock me. <laughs> and Katrina, so you, you go to work in the mornings now, is it? Are you trying going in the mornings? Is that? I get up. I get up with the kids, take them to school, drop them to school. I go down into the shop. I do a few hours work. I'm lucky enough that I can then go collect my kids, take them home. But normally, I would have gone back to the shop in the evening, 
um, for a couple of hours or I would have gone down setting, you know, doing flowers for the following day's wedding or whatever, doing prep or I'd have gone down doing paperwork. But now I make the dinner as sit and talk to the kids after dinner and get the full lowdown of the day. And then I end up going to bed around seven or eight o'clock. And would you sleep through the night then? No, I'm normally watching TV till about maybe one or two o'clock. And I wake then every morning somewhere around six o'clock because I just can't sleep. But and yet I, you have this excessive tiredness. Yeah. I'm exhausted walking up the steps up the stairs. And by the time I lie into the bed, which is seconds, I'm, I can't sleep. Oh, God. And, so, and uh, have you been left with any other? Have you? Is the cough completely gone? The cough is completely gone, Great. but I do have the chest pains every now and again. Or if I do too much, I will find my breathing gets a bit laboured. Um, and especially wearing the masks in the shop and stuff. Um, if you're doing, if you get, if you know, if you get a run of people coming through the door and you're running up and down the shop, which you will be doing, um, then it, it does get tiring. See, this is the problem when, when you hear some experts say we should go for this herd immunity. We should lift everybody under the this age of sex. is on hold. Um, are we fake? Katrina's put us on hold. Are you there with us, Katrina? Yeah. She's hit the button, I would say, by mistake. Are you there with us, Katrina? Are you there with us, Katrina? Hello? 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 Hello. This call is on hold. Okay, she's. <laughs> I'll put it back out. Um, the the point I'm trying to make to Katrina is, uh, when you listen to Katrina now, six months on, and you know a very fit, healthy woman, and when you listen to her and how exhausted she gets from just walking up a stairs, or the cough might reoccur, or the chest pains and the tightness in the chest that she's ha- having, when you hear some experts say about herd immunity let everybody under the age of 60 get coronavirus and then we'll protect the people over 60 and we'll protect the medically vulnerable the danger is because this is a new virus it's a novel virus we don't know the long term implications are the long term effect. We have no way of knowing in 10, 20, 30 years time will people suddenly start developing symptoms that will turn out to be some kind of a post-COVID syndrome. And I was only thinking about this last night. I mean, when polio all happened and people recovered from uh, polio, how many people then many years later ended up getting the post-polio syndrome, which they could never have known at the time because, again, polio at the time would have been a new a new um, virus. So we just don't know. We, we just don't know. Anyway, we'll, we'll leave it there with um, uh, Katrina because uh, we can't get her back on, on the line. But I and, and my thanks to Katrina Healy O'Brien uh, for talking to us uh, this morning. But she really does, I think, put it in very layman's terms just how nasty, nasty a condition uh, COVID-19 is. And we all now have a role to play in making sure that we stop the spread of it. And even... Ronan Glynn, our acting chief medical officer, yesterday was saying that COVID-19 is now threatening to spread. He's likening it to a forest fire. He's warning that time might be running out for people in all counties across the country to slow down the spread of the virus. He said we should all be acting now like it was the end of February. 
going into March when we were we were at the start when we were you know plunged into months of rising infections. He reckons we're almost back at that stage again. He says this is going we're going in the wrong direction. It's now becoming a national uh, issue. And he said I'm liking it to a forest fire. He said we are seeing lots of embers and embers are popping up all over the country. He's appealed to everyone to heed the public advice, not to just individuals, but he said to all sectors and to all organisations. He said the window for it not to become a national issue, he said, is closing very quickly. And that's why he's appealing to every single county. And of course, he was speaking yesterday when we had 429 new cases of the virus, highest that we've had in many months. And uh, sadly, there was uh, one further death. There was another rise in the number of people who are gravely ill with the disease. We have 130 now in hospital. We've got 15 in intensive care. And Philip Nolan of the Maynooth in, in, in University, he hits up the team who tracked the virus. He says he's less optimistic this week than he was last week. He said there was start, they were starting to see a stabilisation in Dublin last week. And the, Dublin, of course, is into the second week of the lockdown. But he said that stabilisation is faltering. So he said the next couple of days is really going to show if that was just a slip or if it was a pattern uh, forming. There were eight deaths across the whole month of August and up to yesterday for September we've one more day obviously to count in for September 24 deaths so we've gone from 4 deaths in August to uh, 24 deaths in September and that number could be higher after today's uh, figures and the average number of new cases is also on on the rise it's gone from 276 last week to 332 this week Dublin now has three times the incident of the rest of the country but most of the other counties are also suffering an increase in infection and of course as soon as they start to talk about a county suffering an increase in infections what happens? Cork get mentioned Cork, Galway, Roscommon and Monaghan they're among the counties now currently under surveillance but they are saying that no county can afford to be complacent at, at this point and we know that Neffet are meeting today to take a look at all of the recent figures and in particular they're going to be looking at the rise in the figures uh, in Cork. Didn't we have 60 cases yesterday which is the highest number we've had in Cork for quite some time but the public health officials also, I thought they gave some really stark examples of recent clusters and how the recent cost clusters have occurred and listening to them yesterday it just shows how easy it is for somebody to be out and about who has COVID-19. Now you're assuming these are people who don't realise. I mean I would hate to think that anybody's going out with any kind of symptoms or God forbid that anyone would go out who had tested positive or somebody who was told to limit their movements and that they ignored it and that they went out and then spread it. But they gave a couple of examples. They gave an example of one cluster of 30 cases and it arose after a young couple went away for a weekend and while they were away at the weekend they attended a house party. Now obviously one within the couple had COVID-19 they were assuming without realising it. So they went to this house party. That resulted in six to eight cases just from that house party. And then that led to cases in three to four other households. Then on the second day of their weekend away, they went to friends in a town centre. Four more people were infected from that meet-up with the friends uh, in the town centre. They then later on that evening went to a bar where six people at the adjacent table to them 
were infected and four members of staff all tested uh, positive. They then went on to a drinks venue where four more cases occurred. So just out of that couple deciding to go away for two night weekend away, 30 people ended up getting COVID-19. And then there was another cluster that they spoke about of 24 cases and that involved intergenerational social mixing. The outbreak started in a small rural place where middle-aged people had gathered. They were socialising in a pub and then in a workplace and then further transmission occurred in the pub over the weekend. 14 of the cases were directly linked to socialising. 11 of the people were aged between 45 and 70 and in the outbreak there was three family clusters, three schools were affected and also there was one um, workplace and that all started from one person in a small rural area going to mix with other middle-aged people and they were all from the one family then whether it was was it a funeral they were all gathered for was it a holy communion was it a confirmation it was some kind of a family event but then people went to that event and then left that event and then brought it back to their own homes spread it in their own homes and then out of the homes it got spread into the schools and it got spread into somebody heading off to at work so it's just none of us we've just none of us can be uh, complacent and the R number this is the all important R number which is the rate at which the virus reproduces that needs to be under one for us to have any control and we had it well under one. At one stage, weren't we looking at 0.2 to 0.4? They reckoned it was under under a half and we were celebrating that and we were watching the R number. The R number now has started to rise. It's between 1.2 and 1.4. Also, sharp rise in infections amongst the 19 to 24 year olds and one of the signals that the level 3 restrictions are not being adhered to in Dublin has been that the level of traffic on the roads that has remained high and that's suggesting that too many people who've been asked to work from home have decided to go I tell I'm back in the workplace I'm, I'm going to go to work I'm, I'm not going to go uh, home so an appeal was made last night to employers to please follow the advice and obviously uh, people have been urged to reduce the number of uh, people that they are meeting and they had expected in Dublin when they moved from level two to level three one of the things that they suggest on level three is that if you can work from home please work from home and they're particularly saying to people who had been working from home during lockdown and then went back into the workplace they're saying go back to what you were doing during during lockdown go back and work from home and they were hoping that that's what would happen in Dublin but judging by the traffic on the road there was no fall off in the traffic on the road in the mornings or in the evening times rush hour traffic so they know that people are not abiding by it and they're comparing the figures obviously to what happened during lockdown when people were asked and did uh, work from home so because of that figures are not falling fast enough in Dublin but I think the sharp increase in the infections among the 19 to 24 year olds I know we've been talking about the Leaving Cert students and students in uh, college and people are saying that's you know that's surely that points to the colleges reopening does the fact that there's a sharp rise in infections in 19 to 24 year olds that's the age group that's going on to third level education can we point and say that it's anything to do with third level education well with that in mind Kathleen contacted us and I had to get John Paul to double check this because I could not believe that this was true Kathleen contacted us to say she was disgusted to hear that a pub in Tralee in County Kerry is offering 50 free pints 
to the first 30 students into their bar today from four o'clock. And Kathleen said, dear God, is that not a bad example considering everything that is going on? So John Paul looked into it and he's actually got a picture of, it's one of those sandwich boards, you know, like the blackboard, the chalk blackboard sandwich board. And it's outside. I just don't have the name of the pub, unfortunately, and I can't see in the picture, but it looks like it's on, that's the main street in Tralee, isn't it? I can't see the name of the pub. But here on the blackboard, it clearly says, uh, free pints for the first 50 students open today four from four until 11am. And obviously if it's for the first 50 students, they're obviously encouraging them to come at four because if the first 50 aren't in at four, if you come at six, she'll be too late. The first 50 will have been be in and you will have lost uh, your free points. That's just so totally irresponsible on behalf of that bar in Tralee. And obviously Tralee is a student town because they've got the Institute of Technology. So they have the students uh, there. And I agree with you, uh, Kathleen, it certainly is a very, very bad example when we're asking everybody to limit their social contacts and especially when we're hearing there is now a sharp rise in infections among 19 to 24 year olds and as soon as drink comes into the mix everybody starts off with the best of intentions but people's guard gets left down and we have seen lots and lots of evidence of young people doing what young people have done for previous generations and will do for many many more generations to come when young people get together they want to socialise they want to be close to each other the girls want to be hugging each other boys and girls want to meet up and of course you throw drink into the mix so yeah very I think very irresponsible of that pub 1850 John Paul's taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Skull Breed in Crossmahan. They are looking for part-time cleaners. Now, previous experience and contact details for references are absolutely necessary. An activity assistant is required. That's to work in Nazareth House in Mallow, while a child care practitioner is wanted for Toonsbridge Play School. That's five miles outside of McCroom. And people are wanted for roofing, for labouring and also apprentices are wanted for the Canturk area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now and we've a lot of job opportunities online if you haven't checked it lately. You can go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Now an annual public service obligation for the post office network of 17 million has been recommended in an independent review by business advisors Grant Thornton to discuss the review of the economic contribution and financial sustainability of the Irish Post Office Network. I'm joined by Paddy O'Shea, who is spokesperson for the Cork Postmasters, and he is, of course, postmaster in Ahada Post Office. Uh, good morning to you, Paddy. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well, and, and you're welcome. Does this report clearly show that if the government does not invest in our post office network, then some simply will face closure? An awful lot will face closure, actually because the figures there tell us uh, $70 million in cost to run the upper, uh, post office network, $53 million revenue from post office network, leaving $17 million shortfall to be, uh, you know, to be met by postmasters. And uh, they, they just won't survive, cannot survive. But just to give the background of this, uh, about two and a half years ago, on post and, and the uh, and the uh, the union uh, did a deal and about because we could see coming down the road the problems and the problems are 
first we're not getting enough of government services, but a lot of uh, smaller post offices were just hanging on there. And there was a deal done, and about 150 went that time. And obviously that helped for a bit because a, a post office going, the neighbouring post office would pick up, uh, well, not all of the business, but some of the business. Anyway. Yeah. Now, uh, that happened, and uh, uh, us that they signed the contract then, we signed the contract, about 650 was the, was the, the figure. Uh, we gave up, our, we had a contract for life, we gave it up for a seven-year contract, and they gave us, they helped us, on post helped us, and gave us uh, financial support for the first three years. Okay. That is due to expire in the summer of 2001. And so this is the problem. Already, uh, some of the, the first tranche of the support is, is gone. My, myself, I lost 500 a month last month. And next, uh, soon enough, there'll be another 500 gone and other things. So that is unsustainable for the ordinary post office. Totally unsustainable. And so what's been suggested is this public service obligation. Do other European countries offer a public service obligation to their post office networks? Yes, we have. Ah. The UK, France, Italy, Germany, Poland, Finland and Spain. They're the ones that do that at the moment. Because they see the value of Of having a local post office. Because, as we know, the post office is in and still in Ireland. Is, is that it's definitely, I suppose, the centre of, of the community, whether it is in the city or a small town or a village. The post office is the people go to it all the time. Just, you know, people say to me now, I'm sure everyone is educated now, they want you to do anything. Just two days ago in my own place here, a woman came in and she said, would you make out that form for me? And I said... I looked at it, whatever the form was, and I did the form, she said, thanks very much. So there are still people coming in asking us, you know, to help them. And we do I'm, that. I'm sorry, though, it was, it was a form, like like an official form that needed to be filled in. That's right, Jeff. And she'd no one to... She didn't, she asked me to do it anyway. I didn't ask her had she any man because I thought yeah. she would have asked somebody else if she had it. Yeah, now, and I then sometimes... some now, this woman. Yeah, but sometimes people don't want to necessarily share right, private yeah, information yeah, yeah. with yeah. a family member but they'll do it with the postmaster or the postmistress yeah, yeah. we're like the priest now they yeah. give us all the things but basically that's it but like the range we do as well as that I mean uh, uh, 1.3 million people come in every week to the post offices that's roughly I hope I'm right about 28% of the population so the post office is wanted you know is wanted all the time, you know. People come in, young people and old people, etc. Just to give you an idea, uh, an overwhelming majority of the public can acknowledge the importance of the post office in their community, 91%. Mm. Most people want to see more government services available through their local post office, 86%. And the vast majority are in favour of the state providing financial support to keep them open, 86%. So we have a majority on our side, you know. Did you see an increase in business during lockdown uh, with people posting letters and posting parcels? We did. We saw, we saw a big increase uh, in that. But then on the other side of it, 
the, 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 people weren't coming in as often because uh, for, for pensions and, and social welfare of all kinds, trust fund, they came in, instead of coming in every week, they came in twice a month. And and I know some of them have returned to weekly, but the bulk of them, including the including the old age pensioners, are still fortnightly. Paddy, not everyone's happy with that. No, very few. A woman there last week in my place, Paddy, could you get it back to every week? I cannot. I cannot survive. She said she was a big family. This woman now. I said I want. I said we are doing our best. But you see, when people didn't come in to us as well, you see, usually when they come in every week, they would pay. Bills. Yeah. So yeah. you'll be getting four, four bills every month. Now we get two bills. Yeah, I've often stood behind somebody in my local post office and you can see him paying it. I'll take it, put a tenner off that and That's put 20. Right. And it's fantastic. What, you know, just a brilliant service and it's great for people. Low income, they don't have, you know, a big nest egg that as soon as the bill comes in, they can dip into That's right, and they prefer going. they prefer yeah. to um, uh, pay it off. Can you see, because uh, I know we've contacted the department about the weekly payments as well on behalf of some of our listeners. Can you see them going back weekly ever? Are well, we want them to go back and we've been in contact and so have on post uh, the department and uh, we have got a f- some, as you know, and uh, they will consider it, they told us. But I mean, if it doesn't come back, it'll be very serious for us and for some people who just can't manage, find it very difficult. Yeah, people like to live from week to week we? and, you know, and it can be hard if you spend the money and then suddenly it can be a long week if you're waiting That's right. a fortnight well, for the next... People on low income. Yeah. If that yeah. thing you say, it's okay if you're a very good job, you have your card, you could do A, B and C, but if you're not, if you're having the money, you're in trouble. So it's just that situation, and we have an awful lot of those now, uh, the low-income people coming in, and it's hitting them very hard, no doubt about it. Did the Grant Thornton report suggest ways to grow the business of the post office? Well, network? first of all, we are asking all the time outside of this border, for us to get more government business. Now, we have promised it. I remember in when, when was that? Uh, it was in the 2011 that uh, uh, Mr. Kenny went in as a uh, T-shirt in the Kenny. Yeah. And we again tied, and he told us as a, as a, as a, uh, a countryman, he'd look at it and he'd give us a lot of stuff. We got absolutely nothing. We got nothing. We're getting less and less, and as well as that, uh, the government policy anyway to, is to have a cashless society, mm. you know. So, I mean, everyone tells us they'll do it, but nobody does anything. Now, in fairness, not on post, they gave us a small bit, but that is just not not going to do a whole lot for us. Like, Whatever happened to Bobby Kerr? Remember Bobby Kerr's review back in, back in 2016? Yeah. Whatever happened to that? Well, the MD came in and he looked at it, but he he said that he didn't see much value in it. So it, it went to ground. It went to ground at the moment. But but what I'm saying is, it is like I've spoken to you a good few times. You and have? if we look at it, you see, back 20 years ago, I suppose, there was about 100 and, uh, 1,400 officers there. We now have, what's the figure, uh, 99, 89, or 890, sorry, post like it is dropping all the time. And even here now in the city and, and uh, the country most of it, the city now we have it, we have about four or five offices closing. They have closed. 
and uh, there's another few uh, going after Christmas. And it's people just, uh, always giving. say to us, Paddy, the heart is taken out of an area no, when no, the post even, office even goes. in the city now. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, I mean, I deal with them in the city as well. And when she's gone, people find it terrible. But, I mean, they just cannot make a living. Simple as that as that. And, I mean, postmasters work very hard. And, I mean, you know, we don't have a pension. We don't have anything like that. We're self-employed. So, I mean, it's very tough. And there is no doubt. What we're saying, like, you know, why is the what supporting? And we said why. The, the people gave it 91%, 86%, 86%. They want it there, and they, and you know, they want it there, and they want it supported by the government. And I mean, otherwise, they'll all, they, there'll be a small amount remain, but enough that the post office will close. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, but that goes back to use it or lose it, Paddy. It's up to. Individual people, isn't it? You've yeah. got to go back into your post office, and if you can redirect some of your business back through your post office, that's right. Yeah. Now the government could, as I said before, could do a fair bit for us, but even with that, we'll have to get some support. Mm. You know, in the summer now, next summer will be the crunch time. We'll go under. Last of us will go under. No doubt about it. Hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully not. Hopefully they're listening, Paddy. Yeah. Listen, a pleasure as always. Uh, how are you all getting on through COVID and all they're of that? Good. They're good. We're straight through. Yeah. We're yeah. straight through, people. You're doing well. Good. You're doing well. Yeah, yeah. Listen, look after yourself and we'll no doubt we'll speak again. Well, I hope so. Thanks, Thanks a million. God bless. Thank That's uh, Paddy O'Shea, postmaster of Ada Post Office, but he's also spokesperson for the Cork Post uh, Masters. Uh, and a Grant Thornton report clearly showing we will lose some of our post offices and then what people always the wailing and gnashing that goes on when a post office closes so please guys if you can do your bit it's all part of the shopping locally keeping money in your local economy but if you can direct any kind of business at all to the post office uh, please do 1850 and I want to give a mention to this text that came in earlier this morning I don't think there's a name on it uh, this is to do with them now I didn't see the movie but I I know the story of what this listener is talking about oh my god says this texter did you see the film on the Kerry Baby scandals on RTE last night I was sick to the pit of my stomach I fell pregnant in 1985 and the shame of it at the time I now understand the pressure my poor mother was under with church and law though the guards the priests and the pillars of the community did all this in the name of the church and in the name of Jesus Christ women were second class citizens then and I'm not too sure if we moved on that much says the texter this was not a hundred years ago and a lot of these people are still alive I actually went to bed upset says this texter but now this morning I've woken up very cross uh, about it and it's I can't think I know I saw I know I didn't see the movie last night but I know that there was a movie uh, made about it it's to do with the the Kerry Babies remember the Kerry Babies uh, case and that texture is right it's not that long ago the Kerry Babies case was back in 1984 and there's sort of names when you start talking about the Kerry Baby case you start remembering the names um, Joanna Hayes I mean what Joanna Hayes 
and her family was put through was just shocking. And for those who, who need reminding of the case, there was, it was a newborn baby was found dead on a beach in Carasavine and it had 28 stab wounds and it was a newborn baby. And there was this local woman, Joanna Hayes from uh, Abbey Dorney, which wasn't local enough, it was about 80 kilometres away from Carasavine. She was known to be pregnant, so she was arrested. Now, she and... Um, her family confessed that she had had a baby but the baby was her baby was born on the family farm and died shortly after birth so they'd wrapped the baby up and they buried the baby in secret on the farm they were able to family were able to say exactly where the baby was buried that baby her little baby that died shortly after birth was dug up and the baby was found to have the same blood type as Joanne and the father of the child, who at the time was a married man, wasn't it? But the baby on the beach had a different blood group to Joanne and to the father of Joanne's uh, baby. And I remember at the time, it was just absolutely bizarre. The criminal investigation insisted that Joanna Hayes had become pregnant simultaneously by two different men. Was the super func super functiation or something? It was a word. I remember we'd never heard of before, and that she'd gone on to give birth to two babies, and they were saying that one died of natural causes because they were able to prove her own baby died of natural causes, and the second one, she or some members of her family decided to uh, stab twenty eight times and then put it, uh, leave it on the beach in Karzavim. There was another theory that floated around that the baby's blood type must have changed due to decomposition, which, by the way, medically is not possible. So, yeah, it was an absolutely shocking case. And then remember, there was a, there was a court case. If you want to follow up more about the story, I suggest you read a book. And I remember I interviewed her at the time she wrote the book. Nell McCafferty wrote, the journalist, wrote a book about the case called A Woman to Blame because Nell McCafferty would have been one of the journalists that was in court. And it was the way Joanne was treated in court and it all tied in at the time to the way, as they were called, unmarried mothers were treated in Irish society. And this we're only talking about the 80s. I mean, that's what this listener is saying, is right. It's not that long ago. I, if, I, I'm, I'm assuming you could still get a copy of Neil McCafferty's book called A Woman to Blame. I know Joanne, uh, Joanne Hayes herself co-wrote a book with uh, John Barrett and it's uh, called My Story, it's uh, called. And she did eventually receive an out-of-court um, settlement, but it was just shocking, absolutely shocking what she was put through. And just as an add-on, the other little baby the little baby boy that was found in Karasavine with the all of the stab wounds, he was later named Baby John. He has never been identified and the grave site has been repeatedly vandalised, uh, according to a piece I'm reading online today. But no suspect has ever been identified either for the vandalism of the grave, but nobody has ever discovered who Baby John was, who Baby John's mother was or what happened and uh, the circumstances of his death. But it is it's truly a shocking story. And anyway, there was a movie on last night. It's Fiona Shaw is in it. It's called Out of Innocence. It was on last night in RT. I'm assuming you can get it on the player if you haven't uh, seen it. But as I say, a texter saying just went to bed, upset last night, but then cross. And when you look into a story like that and when you realise what happened during that time, as I say, not that long ago, I can well understand you feeling cross this morning. 1850 Don't forget today is Thursday, which means we answer your pet questions later on. If you have a pet question, you could get it into John Paul or you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 
103. Nick Richards plays Cork's greatest hits for your workday on C103. Are you ready for even more of Cork's greatest hits? Woo-hoo! I love that song. Oh, Nick, I'm just so delighted. Playing Cork's greatest hits while you work. Nick Richards. Weekdays from 1. C103. Hi, Simon here. As you know, Cork has a host of local and world-class brands and it's a super city for shopping. Right now, we are asking you once again to make every effort to shop locally. We'd be delighted if you could do your shopping right here in Cork because a thriving local economy is good for everyone. Shop locally and you'll save time, you'll save money and you'll help to save local jobs. Supported by McCarthy Insurance Group, where you can shop local for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Support your own right now. And thank you from all of us at C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Text in, and this is literally a breaking news story. And says Patricia, Dr. Tony Houlihan is to come back as chief medical officer from next week. Thank God. He'll definitely shake things up and tell people to cop themselves on, says uh, Anne. And we've got it checked. And Anne is right. The chief medical officer, Dr. Tony Houlihan, who has been on leave, is expected to return to his post next week. Sources have confirmed that uh, Dr. Tony, who stepped down, of course, back in July for family reasons, will return to his role next Monday. He, of course, says. Uh, stepped back to spend time with his family and to help care for his wife who's been uh, diagnosed with terminal cancer and she's understood to be receiving continuing care. What a tough tough journey that man uh, is on. He is incredible but I think that that news will be received as Anne has received it. She's delighted with it. I think a lot of people will be thrilled to hear that Dr Tony Houlihan and that's not to say that Dr Ronan Glynn isn't doing a good job. The poor man is, is trying his best but there's just something Comforting. I don't know what it is about Tony Houlihan. Maybe the the fact he was there from the start. I can't quite put my finger on it. But you'd see him come on the TV and we hung on his every word. We, I mean, we literally did. And it was like we were getting advice from our own personal doctor. And if Dr. Tony said you don't do it, then you don't. You didn't do it. And if he said jump, you said how high. So he will be back from next Monday. As they say, news that I think a lot of people will be delighted uh, to hear. And actually, thank you to people who've contacted us uh, to say that they really enjoyed my interview with Katrina Healy O'Brien, the uh, McCroom florist, telling her story of life with uh, COVID-19. Marion said, fantastic interview uh, by Patricia with Katrina. She outlines the seriousness of the disease. As many are getting complacent, I think it's great that we get to hear people's story, the reality of what COVID-19 is like. And maybe more stories like that will make people wake up. Yeah, because Katrina is, you know, really a young, healthy woman who, you know, was leading and living a very fulfilled life and wasn't somebody that took to the bed and wasn't somebody that had to sit down every time she walked up the stairs or exerted herself in any way and really showing six months after she got COVID the effects uh, of it. And someone else by WhatsApp says, well done to Katrina on telling her personal story so clearly. This will help to spread the importance to each person's behaviour in trying to contain this virus. We need more people who have been affected to come forward and tell their stories. Hearing these stories are the best 
just regular reminders and they really are the best form of advertising and, and we certainly will make our airwaves available to people who want to share their stories with us just to get the message out to people of what a nasty nasty and it can be fatal as well as we know we've lo- we're have we losing too many older people uh, to it. So thank you to people who took time out uh, just to contact us to say that they enjoyed the interview with Katrina. And then Dennis has contacted us. This is uh, with regard to the interview I did with Paddy O'Shea when we're talking about the post office network and Grant Thornton doing this independent review, taking a look at the post office network and in particular the way they've been affected because of COVID and they've seen a decline obviously in their business and because of that they're down less money and he's clearly shown in this review that if the government don't inject money into the post office network then we will lose some of our post offices and you know what's going to happen it's going to be the small post offices and many of our villages that still have a post office it really is the last business standing in many cases there's nothing else in the village except the post office and of course when the post office closes, it means then people who regularly use the post office will have to travel so many kilometres so many miles away in order to get to a post office and it can be hugely hugely inconvenient to people so the call now is to the government invest please in the post office network and give them some kind of a public service obligation some kind of a subsidy our Dennis doesn't agree Dennis says Patricia I own a printer and if I could print my own stamps I'd never darken the door of another post office why should I have to kick in through my taxes obviously for a service I never use and I read that it came in at the end of the of my interview with Paddy and do you know something Dennis I have to call you out on this I think that is such a selfish attitude to use just because it's a service that you don't use you feel you shouldn't in any way have to contribute be it through indirectly through your uh, taxes but we don't live on our own we all live in communities and we all live in a society And we all pay our taxes. Those of us that are lucky enough to go to work every day, our taxes are used then to fund services. If it comes to pass that they give the money to the post offices to fund something like the post office, but it funds things like schools. I mean, if you were to take your attitude, Dennis, then surely every single person who's never had a child can say, well, why why are my taxes going on to pay for uh, schools? I don't use libraries that often. I could be here saying, well, why, why are my taxes used to fund libraries? But we do it so that there's services there for people who do need it. For example, in your own community, there could be a little old dear, little lady who lives up the road who every week potters down to the post office, might walk past your front door, goes down to pick up her old age pension. She'll have to chat with the ladies or the gentlemen inside in the post office. She might pay money off a few of her bills and then she'll go into local supermarket, a local shop and she'll do her shopping. You could be in business, Dennis. She could be popping into your shop uh, to do her uh, business. And if that post office wasn't there or if she was forced to have her money paid into her bank account, she mightn't get out on the Friday at all. And it might just could be that just once a week where she goes out and she does her 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 business and that's that's why we live in communities and we live in societies and that's how our taxes work so you know i do think it's rather selfish to say just because it's a service you don't use you don't want any of your taxpayers money uh, to be used for it and there has been many many uh, opinion polls done and the majority of people want our post office network to remain in place. I mean certainly during lockdown I probably used my post office more. I don't use it that often but I certainly used it more often. I used it because I wasn't able to see 
family they don't live close to me there was birthdays that had to be celebrated I got to post cards there was presents that went in the post and I was thrilled and delighted to have a post office that was available to me that when I turned up with my little packages they took them off me and they got uh, delivered uh, safely so I disagree with you Dennis just because it's a service you never use I disagree that we should we should not be funding it because somebody else who has a very different view to you is James in Churchtown in East Cork James heard my interview with Paddy and he said Churchtown South has a fantastic little post office and he said with so many people moving to the area he said I want though a business like that and I want those people who've moved to the area to support the local post office I do all my business in the post office and I see many people jumping into their cars and they'll travel 20 odd miles before looking at their own post office so James is of that belief we need to shop locally and support our local businesses I am 100% with you on that one James and thank you for taking the time to call us also coming in by text this is to do with when I mentioned there is a rising number of cases in the 19 to 24 age group, a rising number in that age group testing positive for COVID-19. John says, Patricia, last year we had protests and there were protests all over the world by young people about saving the planet for climate change. Many of those protesters were even school going. Yeah, remember there was the school, they went on strike on Fridays. Remember all that? Greta Thunberg uh, started it all. Anyway, John says, they were asking everybody to change their ways to save the planet for their future. How many of those people are now willing to change their ways to reduce the COVID virus and save people's lives, says uh, John. And that got me thinking as well, John, when I saw your text. If you think back when we had the marriage equality referendum, remember? when we passed in this country and it showed how far in this country had moved on that we had a referendum that clearly showed the majority of people wanted to allow for same-sex marriage but it went down to a referendum and nobody knew with the referendum nobody knew what way it was going to go and there was a massive campaign at the time to get younger people to talk to the older generation and in particular there was some really good ads showing younger people grandchildren talking to their grandparents and explaining to their grandparents who were a very different generation but explaining why same-sex marriage was so important and we had young people opening up to their grandparents about the fact that they themselves were gay or lesbian or transsexual or transgender and it was great and it got a massive conversation going and it sort of bridged the gap between the generations but it got the younger generation to explain to the older generation the importance of same-sex marriage. So maybe we've got to a stage with COVID-19 that we now need the grandparents, the older generation to really engage with the younger generation and talk to them about COVID-19. Talk to them as grandparents about how afraid you are, how scared you are of getting COVID-19, how afraid you would be if you ended up in hospital, how you know older people are more likely to die from COVID-19 than a younger person and maybe maybe we need to maybe grandparents need to have those kind of conversations with their grandchildren. Thank you for that uh, John and Tim and Donnerell on kind of the same topic saying I've no problem with the young people aged between 18 and 24 I've no problem if they want to go to house parties but if they make that decision and if that is what they decide to do then please can we tell them stay away from your parents stay away from your family stay away from your grandparents if you want the freedom to party work away but don't then go on to pass COVID-19 that you may not even know you have 
do not go on to pass that on to everybody else. Yes, I had my freedom when I was younger, but I always had the utmost respect for the older generation. I feel today's youth don't have the same respect. Maybe when it comes to the leaving search, they should be reducing all the points as they don't seem as intelligent a generation as they're trying to make out they are as they are continuing to go to house parties. They are not heeding any of the words of warning. Dan and Ballon Hasek says, I presume Norma Foley as Minister for Education had advisors. Did they tell her not to say anything for a whole week? Or what did they say? It seems to be a long time before the news actually went uh, public. Yeah, we had to wait a full week and there's going to be huge, there is already huge question marks as to why we had to wait a week for that news. And this government said, Christine, to C103 on Facebook, this government are professional apologists and they have the mindset, Asher, an apology will fix everything. By God, they have enough experience of it. Remember all the apologies they they gave to the women who died as a result of cervical check, all the apologies they've given for the elderly people people that have died due to COVID-19 and COVID-19 coming into nursing homes. It's a disgrace how they can play with people's lives and futures through what they then come out and say, oh, we've had a great big error. 1850-333-103. What else is coming in to us? I mean, look at some of your uh, WhatsApps that have come in. Uh, Michael, who earlier was calling for what was quite strong and quite critical of what's happened with the Department of Education and he went so far as to th- he felt that the Minister of Education Norma Foley should do the honourable thing and resign well not everybody agrees with you Michael Dermot says Trish I think that was very unfair of Michael I think Norma Foley is doing well and this really was not her fault tell Michael how would he like to become the Minister and see what, how he would get on he sounds to me like he is a hurler on the ditch Eighteen fifty. 3331033 and see can we help a one of our listeners here Mary has been on to us Patricia is could you find out for me please is there any shop in Mallow where I can buy dairy free cheese any shop in Mallow selling dairy free cheese uh, now I would suggest Mary I don't, I don't know if you've already done this if you go to any of the supermarkets because veganism has become so popular of late and there's an awful lot you'll see you'll see a section usually they keep all the vegan stuff together are the you know the free from section and you'll see items that are vegan I mean, that's what you're looking for. If it's a dairy-free cheese, you're looking for a vegan cheese. So I don't know if you've had to look in any of the larger supermarkets and go to their vegan vegetarian section. You might be able to find something there. But in the meantime, we'll call it out. There's got to be somebody listening who has managed to get dairy-free cheese uh, in the Mallow area, please, from Mary. 1850 333 103. Lines open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Kildallery Community Development, they've got their weekly lotto draw. It's on tonight, or this afternoon, sorry. Kildallery Community Office at four with a jackpot of €1,000. If you fancy going to bingo, then Inchigila Hall is the place to be this Friday night with a half eight start. Now there is a limit of 50 people so tables will have to be pre-booked. Now you need to contact 087 
31003311. And remember, if you're booking a table, table of six people, you can come from no more than three households at each table. COVID-19 guidelines will be adhered to and face coverings must be worn at all times. And the Jack and Jill Foundation that we spoke with on the programme recently, they're holding fundraising events during the month of October and are asking people to climb a hill for Jack and Jill. The North Cork event takes place on Sunday next on Mount Hillary. It starts at 11am. We are going to Vermoy Garda Station where Sergeant John Kelly uh, joins me for this week's uh, Garda 5. Good afternoon to you, John. Good afternoon, Patricia. And, and you are very welcome. Me. Now, we start with a break-in in Bartlemy. Yeah, break in there at a business premises in Barkamy. Um And I'd ask uh, listeners to cast their mind back. Uh, Wednesday, early Wednesday morning, now it was only seven minutes past midnight of last week, the 23rd, um, the alarm went off at a local business premise, large business premises in Barkamy. Um Now, the owners and neighbours were on the scene straight away. Um, there was very, very little uh, only minuscule amount uh, stolen from the premises, but the damage, quite a bit of damage was in, uh, done in entering the premises. Um, and uh, oftentimes you will see with break-ins, it's not the amount stolen at all, it's the damage that's actually caused. Now, we'd ask for the public's assistance. Um, uh, dark-coloured estate headed south out of Barkley. Now, two people were seen running from the business premises uh, on CCTV, uh, as I said, they got into this dark coloured estate, headed south. Now, this must have been in the area of Fermoy, uh, hanging around for maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half beforehand, or would have been seen by people. Maybe somebody has the number in that car. Maybe they saw it acting suspiciously and maybe put it in as a save number into the mobile or wrote it down. Um, if they have it, you know, we'd be delighted to hear from them. The Gary at Fermoy, 025 82100. And, um, or somebody and, out with dash cam footage, somebody might have passed that car. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and dash cam footage is uh, proving invaluable now in, in, you know, in a lot of investigations, you know. And it's when people go back on the dash cam and they say, yeah, that, that could be exactly what we're looking for. You know, a lot of taxis have it, but an awful lot of uh, private motorists, you know, have, have, have it as well. So it was Tuesday into Tuesday night into Wednesday morning, we're talking Correct. about of last week. Okay, if anybody Correct. was out. I appreciate any help the public can give us on that. Um, so th- we moved into Friday the 25th of uh, September and an elderly female from my district uh, got a number, uh, got a phone call from a blocked number. They managed to convince the lady in question that they were from the security department to the Bank of Ireland and that they were doing a security check. And uh, they basically by engaging uh, they managed to get her to disclose you know uh, her details of her oh, bank account God. and now to be fair to her she did get onto the bank straight away and um, you, you know while money uh, you know has been uh, some money has been taken from her account you know um, the bank may be in a position to recall we recall the money we don't know it yet so look I'm giving it as a word of advice really to people you know that if they get any call like this anything remotely resembling uh, a, a kind of a request to confer uh, bank details or anything, you know, e- e- either politely or if you wish, impolitely, just <laughs> tell them where to get off. You can be impolite you know? as well, absolutely, Ab- just absolutely, get off the phone. Absolutely. 
get yeah, off the phone. Get lost, and that you know? that wasn't that wasn't by text. That was an actual call to that lady's that house. That was an actual phone okay. call. Yeah, but uh, from right. from a block number. From a block number. But I mean, okay. uh, don't even think that if you get that number with an O two five prefix in front of it, I know, that they no. couldn't be engaged in um, what we call phone spoofing, call spoofing. You know, which is where they could be ringing from. Uh, they could be ringing from India. They could be ringing from Africa. They could be ringing from the UK, Spain. But they make it come up on your number like a, like an like an O two five number or an O one number, but you know? I, but I this happened now a couple of months ago. I got a missed caller on my phone, and again didn't mm. know the number, so I didn't answer it. And then next, I got a text message from the same number saying, um, "I sorry, I'm returning your call." So I text the person back saying, "Well, I got a missed call from you." So I ended up yeah. chatting with this a, a lovely man down in Kerry, who my number right. had been had been spoofed. He my number came up on his phone. Now obviously it was the okay. scam, and he hadn't answered it. But uh, yeah, they now it hasn't happened again since because when I looked into it. If it continued to happen, I would have to have changed my number. But somebody just randomly used my number. Somebody obviously overseas. It was, you know, yeah. computer generated probably. But it just happened to be my number. So, it's, you know, it's it's so we They're so good at what they do. That's what really annoys me. They're so good in, at what in, they do. Increasingly, yeah. I yeah. mean, they're, you know, quite quite advanced, you know, from a techie point of view, you know. Yeah. And uh, that people just have to be so aware, you know, that it's not just the front door, you know, to, to, our, to their own, our own house week need to be concerned about anymore. It's the virtual front door by means of our PC, by means of our uh, laptop, our desktop, our mobile phone. They're all ways into our life, you know, and those people are very good at, in some instances, of of convincing you of who they are, you know. So just do not engage in any shape, manner or form with them, you know. And have you details Um, of a scam text as well? Uh, I, no, no, that's, that's the call. That's the call. All right, that's and then, one. and then, yet again, and this is almost becoming a weekly uh, feature on our guard. The file, cars broken into. Well, they weren't even really broken into because they, they were un- they were unlocked. No. Yeah, they were unlocked. Yeah, it would be totally incorrect to say they were broken into. The cars were left unlocked, you know, by their owners. Um, a number of them at Riversdale there in Ratcormack, and there was one at Parknagrain as well. That was last week, last uh, early hours of Wednesday morning, 23rd again. You know, now we are following the line of inquiry. Some property has been recovered. But, I mean, we'd ask people, look, you know, you know it's only a semi-private area, you know, your driveway. You know, I, I mean, it's not, the, you know, it's an open cortilage, you know, uh, so that the people can come in. You know, they're, we have seen them on video. They're going along. They're just trying doors. You know, if the door opens, uh, it opens. If it doesn't, they don't go near it. You know, but property's been left on display in care. So I'd appeal to people, look, you park it, just make sure when you flick the button, you know, just check it that you can see that, that, the, that the car is locked. You know, it's just a basic, just a basic thing, really, Patricia, you know. Um, yeah. Finally, can I just mention, uh, just I've been asked to mention, just again, to, for every member of the community, just to do their part as regards to COVID-19 restrictions. And, you know, that means just not gathering in numbers. You know, continue to maintain social distancing. Wash your hands, cover your mouth and nose from coughing or sneezing. Wear face masks where appropriate. And look, to be fair, we're getting great support, you, you, you know, from the, you know, from the public. But we need to redouble our efforts. We're into the season anywhere where, where kind of uh, the temperatures are going down, you know. And for, just for people to keep up the, those, you, you know, those that basic etiquette uh, as regards um, as regards sneezing and a new etiquette of, wear, of wearing masks and look, this isn't going to be with us forever. You know, mankind has lived for millennia on, on this island and, you know, we've endured famines, invasions, wars. We're a stubborn, proud, resourceful people. We'll get over it, you know, mm. but it just needs that we have to redouble our efforts. We all have to pull together. 
And we all have to pull together, you know, and uh, any fracturing at this stage, you know, where we, you know, the, it's wrong for young people to kind of go against old people or old, you know, we all have, to, we're all in it together, you mm. know, and, and for just for us to do our thing. And to be fair, most young people are, are, are doing us proud in this, you know, and there are aberrations along the way, but just for people to take the basic advice, okay. you know, well and, and listen well to the health warnings. Well said. Thank Listen, John, as always, pleasure. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for that, Sergeant uh, John Kelly. Bye bye. Sergeant John Kelly from Fomoy, Agar, the station just on COVID. John and Carrick Alliance says, Patricia, as long as we are selling drink in pubs and off licenses, we'll always have COVID. It's our culture. All drink and talking rubbish, fighting and causing trouble. Ban the drink. Blanket ban, says John in Carrick Alliance. Hi, I'm from West Cork. And this, uh, why should everybody suffer over people that are not obeying and stopping the spread of this dreadful virus. It's not fair on people that are doing everything to stop the coronavirus and trying to go to work and keep their families and friends safe uh, and trying to keep others safe. And that's with everybody expecting the, well, Nefeter meeting today. And it looks like the recommendation is going to be to lock down uh, Cork. And certainly it is looking, you could hear it yesterday in what was coming out from Stephen Donnelly and Ronan Glynn. We, I think people in the county had hoped that if the lockdown or if moving to level three was coming that it would just be the city but it's looking like it is going to be uh, county wide it's not just going to be Cork City uh, thank you for your texts uh, I can see questions coming in for Jean uh, keep though for Jane keep those coming please on the post office Mary Amalo says Patricia this is on people why we need post offices. I find the post office in Mallow great. I get my TV licence stamp, get one every week. I pay my phone bill, my electricity bill, even my local property tax. The staff are so nice and friendly, says Mary in Mallow. 100% supportive of of post offices and there's a few others as well Mary says thank you Patricia for standing up for us oldies against Dennis who doesn't see why post offices should be financially supported I use my post office at least four times a week it's my bank our local postmistress Margaret is brilliant and so helpful I wish our pension though was back weekly well done uh, Patricia thanking you Mary Mary you're not on your own the amount of people who wish that the the pension was back weekly so Dennis has has a printer Bully for him, says uh, Meg. Okay, and just on a couple of other ones, thank you to people on for Mary who's looking for the dairy free cheese. Um, North Cork listener Trish tell Mary you can get dairy free cheese in Aldi in Duns and in Tesco any of the big stores uh, do it and Helen says dairy free cheese Tesco do a free from range that's dairy free they have a variety Duns do a sheep's cheese that my daughter finds particularly nice she likes it also try the granary health shop hope that's of help thank you for that lots of people saying yeah the main stores the main supermarkets all do it there's bingo on in Theo Park tonight at half seven would you give it a mention glad to do uh, that and Nora says Patricia I also watched the Kerry Babies movie last night on TV I remember that time very well so in 1984 you see it's not that long ago it was so so sad the way poor Joanne was treated they were terrible times watching the programme last night it was actually very difficult says Nora to watch it the guards and the judge were just pure bullies to her thank God things have improved I don't think the guards of today would treat anyone like that they simply wouldn't be allowed to get away with it God be good to that poor woman Joanne life has not been easy for her it hasn't it hasn't how right you are 1850 a number of people by the way are going on about households have been hit by rising electricity prices I'm not going to get to mention that today that's to do with the PS the public service 
PSO. It's a levy, isn't it, that has gone gone up on everyone's bills from today. I'll I'll get to that uh, tomorrow. I'm not going to get a chance to get to it today because I need to take a quick uh, break uh, because uh, Jane Pickett, our resident vet, uh, will be joining us next. If you have a question for Jane Get it into John Paul now, 1850-333-103 or you can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103 and a number of people are saying best news they've heard all week. The news that Dr Tony Houlihan is coming back from next Monday as the Chief Medical Officer. So many people looking forward to seeing him delivering the news every night and Micah says, uh, Patricia, I want to compliment Sergeant John Kelly who's just been on with you for Guard the File. He's always so good to get his point across and he always does it with such a solid common sense advice and that's from Michael Agfoilamach quid den anihe is farlin shaetror c103 aircurkig on donkey sanctuary lunaha elis carul in akelemala agasazotela kurtukurted agasetitimingro terer hulodis a teamplucht all in agaspolla hassel agasmulen a torhola oskliachisevli a nighty agahochtaushacht habrishis kedevila asel glakoko hoshes ernashke hondolstachan agasis terminatus na hassel to ingotter er fudnatide to recurter the donkey sanctuary or the Manamundit, Ort Spriul, Dusna Hail Courtour, Iter Og Gazesta. Nukta, Quid Denaneha, Isfari Gorkik, C103. Can I just wrap up on a couple of uh, texts that have come in? Uh, listener says, Patricia, what does Nefet mean? Signed, an ignorant listener. You're not an ignorant listener. Do not say that about yourself. Uh, Nefet is, and some people call it Enfet. It's short for the National Public Health Emergency Team, and they are the crew that are actually meeting today to review the worrying spread of the virus. And it's, you like the likes of Dr Tony Hulham will be back now next week but Ronan Glynn is there it's all of the medical heads coming together it's everybody who plans and decides where the country is going now they all they can do is make recommendations to the government but it's rare that the government go against a recommendation of from the National Public Health Emergency Team so if Neffet today say for example that the entire Cork City and County is to move from level 2 to level 3 then you can assume that that's what the government will announce uh, tomorrow. Uh, thank you for your text and don't call yourself ignorant because you're not. Okay, hi and on Tony Houlihan Tim and Malice says Patricia while I agree with all your sentiments of the return of Dr Tony Houlihan to his post the problem is that few of the younger generation watch the news are read the newspapers a more progressive way has to be found to get that message across you're so right Tim in Mallow thank you for that Patricia if there is a nationwide move to level 3 does that mean the schools will close no even if we move to level 4 to level 5 the schools will not close the whole aim is to keep the schools open no matter what type of lockdown we go into and just one final one on Dr Tony Houlihan Hi Patricia love your programme thank you very much Uh, I certainly know what you mean about Dr Tony Houlihan he's so lovely and calming I was always wondering how his wife Emer and the children were he is a godsend I know the other doctors are doing their best but Tony is just a dote we buried our only daughter from cancer so we know only too well what people go through before they pass It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. 
wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Pass away. We grieve every second of every day because she was our world. Sorry for this long text. No, don't be apologising. Kind word, kind regards, Maria. Thank you, Maria. That, that is lovely. And you know only too well, therefore, what Dr. Tony Houlihan and his family are going through as his wife is at uh, end-stage uh, cancer. So thank you for taking time to contact us today. 1850-333-103. You can text our WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Let's turn our attention to pet questions. And I can see a number of pet questions coming in. Jane Pickett from the Island Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, join me. Joins me. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Hi there. Uh, you are very welcome. Let's get straight into questions. Hi, Jane. My dog is a diabetic and is on a diabetic nut and insulin once a day, but I think he's hungry during the day. Could I give him a little feed in the morning? Okay. So this this is a, a, a probably a really, really great responsible owner because what I would know from my diabetic patients that would be under my care is that the number one person in that situation is the owner. It takes such commitment um, and such dedication to, to effectively care for a diabetic pet. So essentially when a pet is diabetic, they lose the ability for their body to, to make insulin, which is what helps us to process blood sugar. So we have to take over a little bit of the the minding of that. So that involves insulin injections. And that can be from anything once a day to three or four times a day, depending on the type of insulin they're on. Now, also, as part of that, they have to control their dietary intake really, really carefully. So everything has to move like clockwork. Everything has to be really, really regular. So this owner, it sounds like you're doing once daily insulin and once daily feeding. What I'd say is before you change, I think, speak to your own vet. It really depends on what type of insulin you're on. And I know there's, there's some more common and some, let's say, rarer ones that will be used. But also, it really depends on how stable your doggo is. So before you go changing anything like that, have a chat to your own vet because it really depends on how good your control is, what type of insulin you're on. You may be able to get away with having a small feed in the middle, but that would be something I'd really recommend doing under the direct guidance of your own vet. 
because in my own diabetic patients, there's a certain amount of variability. Some are super stable and they can tolerate the odd snack here or there. Some it would throw them entirely off kilter. And a lot of the time, what we have to do when we're changing, let's say, a food or an insulin regime for a diabetic patient is sometimes we have to get them in to do what's called a, a blood sugar curve. So they have to stay with us for the day. We take teeny tiny blood samples to check the blood sugar levels over the course of the day if we were changing things. So depending on how stable your dog is, that may or may not be required. But I'd say before you're tempted to change anything, have a chat to your dog. And is it, is, need to be involved. is it possible that the dog is hungry if it's only been fed once a day? Or is that the norm for dogs to be fed once a day? Mm, it is. It really, really depends. It depends on what they're used to as well. I think if you perceive him as quite hungry and snacky and if he's particularly if he's the kind of dog who's going to try and steal food which would probably not be good for his his diabetic stability then I'd say have a chat to your vet they'll be able to kind of assess whether he's likely to be hungry what his body condition is so his weight and let's say fat levels as to whether he needs to whether he's kind of smack bang in the perfect range for his body weight or he's let's say a little bit tubby or a little bit slim and they might be able to help you to to guide to adjust a lot of dogs will be fed twice a day so it might just be that he is getting a little bit snacky but as I say I know the temptation is there to give him, let's say, the odd treat or the odd little snack, but particularly diabetic diabetic patients don't. And you just hate to think of them being hungry. Okay, a listener says, question for Jane from West Cork. A listener, we have three hens, two red, two red brown and one grey laying okay. After getting quite thin, we've checked under their wings in case of mites or lice, can't see any. They're in a run while they eat. Then we let them out to roam around the lawn for a few hours. Sounds like they have a great life. They're getting a big jug of cooked food, i.e. bread, tea, potatoes, veg, etc. and a big jug of pellets and they also get rolled oats and barley mix. Any advice, please, as to why they're suddenly starting to look a little bit thin? Okay, so first things first, I'll put my hands up and say I don't do a lot of chicken work. Okay. Now that we've got that out of the way, I think my first instinct would be if they're otherwise well in themselves and they're laying well and they, they're on kind of a good plane of nutrition, very much like our, our kind of listener has suggested here, they've gone and checked for, let's say, mice and lice. The other thing I'd be worried about was any internal parasites. Um, so just in case that will be causing, let them say, some weight loss in the face of a good diet and otherwise good health. Um, chat to your local vet about getting maybe them either checked over or doing some initial kind of anti-parasitic treatment. Um, so there's some liquids or liquids that can go in the water that will be, let's say, a dewormer. Um, and also, sometimes some of the little mites and lice that can live on them are not necessarily the most visible to the naked eye unless your bird is very, very still. So I'd say a general check over with your local vet will be no harm because sometimes we can hold them a little bit stiller and they can be a little bit more cooperative to go hunting for those kind of things. And I take it anything, but, um, like, anything like that would be contagious so it would affect all three? Generally it would do, yeah. yeah, which is why I'd be wondering if the three of them are generally well but generally losing a bit of weight, whether it is something kind of environmental like that where they, they fix something up that they all have. But I have to say, they must be producing wonderful free-range eggs. They're allowed yeah. out and roaming around the lawn. You're, you're, do, you're doing well. Yeah. Hi, I have a male neutered black cat who has started to lose her hair, especially around her belly and around her legs, otherwise in good form and is eating well. Just suddenly weight, hair loss in a neutered male doesn't give the age of the cat. Okay, so there'll be two things I'd be kind of concerned about here a little bit. So hair loss in cats can actually be a really tricky thing. Sometimes it can be that they're itchy, so that'd be the first thing. So if there's any cause of itching, the most common thing in cats by a, a country mile is fleas. 
um, generally will get kind of hair loss or let's say a scruffy looking coat and a lot of itching going on, but generally on the top of the body as well, not just on the bottom. But look, cats don't always read the rule books, so they do they do funny things sometimes. So that will be top of my list as regards if there is something causing an itch or likewise, it could be another thing causing an itch, like let's say an allergy or something that's been in contact with that's made it quite uncomfortable. Cats actually are little devils. They don't actually itch around us a lot unless they're really, really itchy. They're really, really good at doing things in secret. So you might not see them itching and scratching at themselves or biting at themselves, but they'll be doing when you're not looking. The other thing is whether it will be something behavioral. So sometimes when we get a pattern of hair loss along, let's say, the underneath of the body, the belly in between the back legs, if you think about it, they're all the easy paces for your cat to get to, to lick and chew it itself. It's not going to be so easy to get to its back, but it's very easy for it to lick its belly. Okay? Mm. So with that, sometimes if they're going to have, let's say, a behavioural, let's say, stress response, so if something has changed in the environment, and that might be as simple as the, the sofa moved two feet to the left, they're very sensitive to these things, or whether there's another cat around, something has changed in their environment. Sometimes it's kind of the equivalent of us biting our nails. As a stress response, sometimes they can lick and bite at their underneath because it's the easy place for them to get to as kind of a, a distraction, a stress relief mechanism. So... First things first, I'd say make sure your cat is covered for fleas, mites, lice. So speak to your vet about getting a, a little spot on to deal with that in case that's the problem. Indeed, if that doesn't settle, present to your vet for a, a physical exam so they can check the skin. The other thing I'd be worried about is just trying to make everything really calm in the household. Try and think to yourself, is there anything that's changed recently? Has the interaction changed with any other pets in the household? And try and get things back to normality or what, what you think would be normal. There's also little pheromone plugins that you can get from the vet. One of them is called Feliway. There's lots of different ones on the market. And they just kind of send out the happy hormones for cats into the, into the air. It works really well for some cats, calms them right down. Others, not so much. It is a bit of a hit and miss tactic, but they'd be the main things I'd be thinking about. OK, and just one final one question for my dog. Female dash hound. Her surrounding vulva is puffy and swollen. She is spayed. What could it be? And that sound, sound by somebody says, really worried. Okay. No, I can understand that that is that is really worrying. That'd be a little bit of a, a scary thing to see happen, particularly if you're if you're if you're very certain she's spayed, then that's a very unusual thing. Um, if you're noticing a very puffy vulva, it could be that she's irritating the back end. So if she's got something that's stinging back there, like a little water infection, a little bladder infection, sometimes the the pee can burn as it comes out, so it makes the the surrounding area a little bit uncomfortable. So sometimes they lick at it and it can make it, let's say, a little bit more swollen than usual. But what I would say is, in this case, I would definitely go to your vet for a check over. It's going to put your mind at rest. But also, given that, let's say, the vulva is a bit swollen, it does sound like there's something going on that needs medical attention if she is spayed. The likelihood is it might be, let's say, a little urine infection or even a problem. But I think the main thing is, if she's not spayed, it could just be a season. But if you're fairly certain, go to the vet. Okay, all right, get it checked out. Okay, listen, have a great week and we'll chat to you next Thursday. Thanks for that, Jane. Uh, Bye-bye. That is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary uh, Group. Uh, Just a couple of... uh, 
comments coming in before we leave you. The amount of people who can't wait for Dr Tony Houlihan uh, to uh, return, even though uh, Dr Ronan Glynn has been doing an amazing job. It's just this great affinity and affection for Dr Tony Houlihan. It's just, it's yeah, and lots of people welcoming him back and Dr Ronan Glynn, of course, will be there supporting him and doing the terrific work that he has been doing uh, to date. And he says, well, it's great to hear that Dr Tony has a is coming back. Can you bear in mind, please, he doesn't have a magic wand. People need to start taking personal responsibility. People are just being so selfish so everybody can get to the other side of this. Everybody needs to row in. Everybody needs to pull together. Uh, we need to uh, and we need to take on board all of the advice that has been given because people are just not following it, unfortunately. And someone else wants to know, will the COVID-19 payments be put in place again if we go into level three, which, by the way, says this texter, isn't fair for everyone. Uh, a lot of people will have to stop working. Yes, the COVID payments kick in immediately because that's what happened in Dublin and in Donegal. The, Nef- the Neffet meeting is still on. Don't know if we're going to hear anything today or whether we're going to have to wait until tomorrow. But that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul uh, for taking your calls today. We are back with you tomorrow morning at, at 10 o'clock. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. On to the line, Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Stay safe. I've been trying to keep my it's really important we continue our efforts to stop the spread of coronavirus. New government guidelines have now made mask wearing mandatory in shops, supermarkets, shopping centres and on public transport. Retail staff must also wear a mask unless there's a two metre distance or a partition. Disposable masks should only be worn once. Cloth masks should be washed daily and multiple masks should be used in rotation. If a mask becomes damp or wet, it's no longer effective and should be changed. Remember, when touching your mask, wash or sanitise your hands. Help stop the spread of coronavirus and stay safe. I've been trying to keep my distance. Keep up to date with the latest COVID-19 information at c103.ie. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.